All right. Yeah, praise the Lord. Like my wife said, happy Mother's Day out there to all of the moms, grandmoms, foster moms, stepmoms, spiritual moms as well. That's very important. Can we just, can we applaud all of these that are here this morning and you that are watching online that's not able to come in for for whatever reason, that's okay. Thank you for joining us and being with us. How we feel, Oso Creek? Feeling pretty good? Wasn't that good worship? Man, that was awesome. Praise the Lord. That was uh, a, a portion of the worship team and the worship set that was done at the women's retreat. And so it was really good, man. So praise the Lord for that. You know, if you're sitting right there, you probably call me the shameless dad moment, you know, a video on my daughter singing there. So you might see that on social media here this week. If she approves. That's important, right? If she approves. Hey, don't forget, you can also give uh, this morning and give online through, uh, through the QR code there. We have uh, offering boxes, joy boxes in the back as well that you can uh, give and support the work of the church as you're leaving. I've got good news. Some of you probably saw the, the goofy YouTube video that I sent this last week, but in case you didn't miss it, I got great news regarding our building project. Uh, as we've talked about, there's been a pause due to some issues with our land, with the, you know, the city and things like that. But we got, I got word Thursday late afternoon from our contractor. He's like, the city's giving us thumbs up and he's expecting work to begin again this coming week. Can we just praise the Lord for that? It's been a long pause. Um, and so I'm excited to get that back going again and and, and, and see, you know, get these walls finished and all that kind of stuff. So thank you. Continue to pray for us. And also, if you, you know, if you, I, I said in that, we're, we're still trying to raise that capital, that, you know, that goal that we've got. And, you know, we're trying to get the equivalent of 100 families to do $250. You know, that's above your tithe, you know. Um, this is like the extra giving. This could be offering uh, $250 equivalent of 100 families over about six months. You, know, you can break it down in however you want to. That'll help accomplish and us reach that goal. Um, thank you. I, I had a, one of those brain freezes there for a moment. If you've given already, thank you so much. If you're doing this kind of chopping it up, you know, and, and, and taking small bites of it, thank you so much. Uh, appreciate that. If you haven't, like I said in the video, if you haven't invested in this yet, man, there's a great time. We're going to get it going back again. So now it'd be an awesome time to maybe pitch in and invest and help us do the work of the kingdom. Okay. And of course, if you've got any questions or any issue with anything, just you can text me, call me, send me a smoke signal, a carrier pigeon, and I'll try to get with you. All right. Hey, are you expecting good things from God? Are you expecting good things from God? Amen. God saves, he delivers, he heals, he makes a way where there seems to be no way, right? How many know that's true in your life? Our testimony, amen. God is good, he's awesome. I do want to announce a very special guest that's with us this morning. Usually when I do this, it's their first time ever being at Oso Creek, but this is actually her second week. I want to announce the arrival of Josie Augsburger and Jacob and Lauren. Stand up, yeah, yeah, Lauren, that's happy mom and dad, and there's little Josie right there, so we're just thankful that they're here. They, were, they actually snuck in last week, and, and we were gone, and thank you, Jonathan, for speaking God's word last week. Appreciate our student pastor, um, but I, I definitely wanted to give them an acknowledgement that you know we are blessed to have them this morning, and we celebrate the, the miracle of life with them, Amen. All right, go to Genesis chapter 16 in your Bibles, all right? Um, we were celebrating moms today. I celebrate the queen of my home, my wife, Megan. I love her so much. I just want to, you know, publicly, she does so much and she's awesome. She's awesome, you know? Uh, it's the reason why I married her, you know? She forced me. But anyway, well, that's, maybe that's another story for another message, but that's okay. And I appreciate Jessica Blair is over here painting today. Uh, she's painting a picture. I'll, I'll, I'll mention it in my service in a minute. In my service, my message, my message, all right? But um, as we've said, happy Mother's Day to, to all the, the different types of moms that are here today. Mother's Day is a reality. It can be a celebration for some, but it can also be a very tough and excruciating day for a lot of people, both men and especially women, for, for various reasons. And I'll hit some of those in my message. 
And if this is a, a day of celebration for you, you know, we, we celebrate and honor uh, moms and, and motherhood with you. This is a message today that's going to appeal to you. But if the present reality of this day is, is a very hard and tough one for you, listen, we stand with you as well and pray that God would give you peace and strength and help and grace. And I pray that by the end of this message, you will feel the presence of God, the peace and the comfort of the Lord, and he will give you hope and strength. But no matter where you are emotionally on this day, this morning here at, at the creek, Oso Creek, we, as Romans twelve fifteen says, we rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep, okay? So praise God and, and bless all of you. This message this morning, I, I wanna call it the, the afflictions of mom and the afflictions of, of us all. And, you know, many that are in attendance, and I'm sorry, Stefan, I'm going to have to, I need to move this over. Sorry, bro. Doesn't he so, do so good on, on the guitar, on the lead? Where is he? I don't know where he went. I don't know. He, uh, he, he's, he, he's leaving us to, to go back in the service for five, five weeks, but we'll see him again. And I said, what are you making, bro? What, what's, what's your annual salary? You know, it's like, we need to talk about matching that. But um, many that are in attendance this morning... I realize are not moms, especially the men, okay? Now, this might be a controversial statement in, in, in today's culture, but men, you will never be a mom, all right, okay? Um, because we don't understand motherhood, you know? We don't understand that at all, guys, do we, all right? We understand fatherhood, but, but there's a way bigger depth when it comes to motherhood that guys don't know, all right? But there is something that unifies all of us this morning. Men, women, moms, fathers, grandparents, adoptive parents, foster parents, mentors. Doesn't matter who you are or what spect where you are in life, there's something inherent that unifies us all and it's this inherent sense that we need to be seen. And what I mean by is that is we need to be affirmed. There's something inside of us that wants to be noticed, okay? I mean, even the greatest introvert, because you might be right now, like, I'm the biggest introvert there is, Greg, and I don't want anybody to see me. I don't agree with that. Because even the greatest introvert, or the, you know, I don't know how you define that, because I'm an extrovert, okay? So I don't even know that spectrum. But deep down, wants to be noticed, by someone significant in their life. To get that affirmation that, hey, I'm seen. I'm noticed. I'm not looked over. They see me, all right? You know, like one movie, the person says, you complete me, you know, that kind of a thing. I don't want to get too emotional, but that's all right. Yeah, but that we're noticed, all right? We even see this in our own children or in kids. How many of you have a child or a grandchild and this is what you hear all the time? Hey, watch me. Anybody else? Hey, watch this. Hey, dad, look over here. Watch this for the 3,000th time. I've done the same thing, but watch me do it again and again and again. And if you dare look this way, like, hey, watch me. Like, okay, I'm watching, I'm watching, all right? They say this around the pool, right? They jump in. It's like, look, you're not like the world's greatest diver, but I'm, you know, but in your mind, when you do the freight jump like that, you are an Olympic medalist. You're like, watch me, all right? Um, they, they, they do it on the ride of the, you know, the, the, the playground, that ride that just goes round and round and round, or if, they're, if you're like at SeaWorld or Six Flags, or you're in an amusement park, you know, the like the Bug Days Fair, that was fun, we went the other night, and they're on a ride that just goes around and around and around, what do they do? Every time they come to you, they're looking at you, and they wave, you know? They didn't go anywhere different, you're not going anywhere different, but every time they make that revolution, it's like wave, and man, you better wave, you know? Because they want you to see them, and they expect you to wave back, and when you give that wave, or you say, ah, uh, yeah, oh, that's great. What a dive. You're awesome. Or, man, you really hit that ball. You are so fast. These things that we say, it indicates that we see them. Because they're crying out, hey, watch me, notice me, pay attention to me. What they're saying is, give me affirmation. 
I want to know that you notice me as my dad, as my granddad, or my, my mom, or my grandma, or someone that's special to me, right? And as parents, what do we do? We, we pause what we're doing, right? And we notice, and we watch. And the affirmation that we give them is like, hey, that's awesome, good job, amazing. I love you, I notice you, all right? I notice you, okay. And they receive strength. And even courage from the affirmation of us watching them, all right? And we all have that, even as adults, even as older adults, or middle-aged, or younger, we all have that inside of us. We want to be noticed, we want to be seen, we want to be affirmed, we don't want to be looked over, okay? Maybe this morning, you might be a mom or a grandmom, okay? And, and, and you, you just feel invisible, even right now, and you wonder if anyone's even noticing the many things that you do routinely, day in and day out, day in and day out. That might be you this morning. You might be here. You might be watching online, okay? And, 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 and on all the other days that's not called Mother's Day, <laughs> that might be what you're feeling even this morning. Does, does anybody see me, you know? Does anybody notice what I'm doing all the time? <laughs> I know in our household, like, you know, this is something you know, that's like, I will do like semblance, a semblance of cleaning, you know, and when Megan comes home, she's like, nobody else cleans but me, you know, and I'm like, I did, but I don't do it to her standard, okay, but anyway, sometimes we're like, does anybody see, does anybody notice, or am I just looked over? Listen, we're going to talk about a lady this morning, a mom from the Bible, she felt invisible too, but she realized that she had this need to be seen inside of her and it took affliction in her life before she realized it. So at this point, before we read our text in Genesis 16, at this point in the biblical narrative, we see the patriarch of the Israelite children and nation, Abram and Sarai. Now later, God changes their names to Abraham and Sarah, but right now there's still Abram and Sarai and God gave Abram a promise that he, he would be the father of a mighty nation that was filled with more children that were in, in, in the stars in the sky. God said, look, if you can go out and count the stars in the sky, you know, that's how many children, that's, that's how many your offspring is going to be. And what started this all off was that Abram had, God had called Abram to leave his hometown, leave his family, leave everything, and to go to a land that was promised by God that he would show him where it was when he got there. God was like, Abram, listen, I'm calling you out from the land of Ur, go to a land that I'm going to show you. Leave everything. That's why in Hebrews 11, it talks about how, how the great faith that Abraham did, because he did. He followed the Lord. He didn't even know where he's going. He just followed God, all right? And that's where we see, in, that's where we are in Genesis 16. Abram and Sarai are on this journey, all right? And, and they had in their heart this promise, this covenant promise from God that he's going to be the father of a mighty nation, God's chosen people, offspring, numerous than the stars. The old, there's only one problem right now at this point in the biblical narrative, that he and Sarai were old, super old. It reminds me of a movie where this one guy's looking at a, talks about a boyfriend of, of, of his former, and he's like, he's just so old. You know what I mean? It's like Abram and Sarai were old, and she was barren. She wasn't able to have any children all of her days. And so as we get to Genesis 16, they noticed how old they were getting. And probably over the campfire or the, the dinner or whatever they were doing, they had this conversation many times. Where's the offspring? Dude, Sarah's like, Abram, you followed the Lord. You, you left, we left all of our hometown in Ur. We left everything. We don't even know where we're going, but we're following God, and he's promised us all these offspring, but yet nothing, zilch, nada, and we've tried, <laughs> and nothing. So what happened is, here in Genesis 16, we see that Abram and Sarai kind of take matters into their own hands and they try to make the promise of God happen themselves. Let's read a verse, starting with verse one of Genesis 16. 
Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. It's like, look, the Lord's he's not letting me have a child. So, you know, maybe the promise is going to be through her, all right? And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Look, notice, Abram, no objections, no complaints. Yeah. Man, all right? Verse 3. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. So all of a sudden, a little female rivalry had begun in Abram's household. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, behold, (laughs) your servant's in your power. Do to her as you please. Uh, Abram's like, dude, woman, you said, okay, so she's your servant, do whatever you want, all right? He took off the responsibility. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Verse seven shows that the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He's listened to your affliction. So all of a sudden we see this third character in this biblical narrative whose name is Hagar. She's an immigrant slave. She is a servant from Egypt. She has no sense of belonging. In that time, in that culture, this is how she was considered. She was just owned property of someone else. She had no rights, she had no dignity, she had no freedom, she had no choice regarding anything in her life. Matter of fact, in our narrative, she's referred by Abram and Sarai as simply the Egyptian or Sarai's maiden servant. They didn't even call her by name. Your servant, that Egyptian, okay? That's how low and debased her life had become. They didn't even use her name. A little bit later in this story in chapter 22 of Genesis, when she goes back to Sarai and Abraham, Sarai gets so mad at her and she goes to tell Abram, get this slave woman out of here for good. This time it was was Sarai who kind of pushed her out, but it's so much that later in 22, she's like, Abram, you're the man, get her out of here, right? Her life was so non-important She was so invisible, okay? And then finally she was tasked, not asked, but tasked to be used to produce an offspring for this couple who could not bear children themselves. And the only reason why she was tasked in order to do this was most likely she was very young and in childbearing age and she was Sarai's property slash servant. And even then, once she bore this child, guess what? The child from her would be considered Abram and Sarai's child. Not even Abram's and her, Abram and Sarai's because she was Abram's or Sarai's servant. I mean, talking about feeling used and abused and mistreated, okay? I mean, Sarai's like, look, here, I'm too old to have a child. Here's my servant, husband, you know, have a child through her. She didn't even get a choice, just have a child through her. And then it gets worse for her after she bears a child. I mean, when we bear a child, I mean, it's celebration. I mean, the, the gift of life, it's a miracle. You know, we love it and we celebrate it. But instead of celebration, it gets worse for Hagar as she has a child. Instead of a life of happiness, she finds mistreatment. Instead of enjoying being a mom, probably something that she didn't even ever think she would become, 
she gets affliction. Instead of being celebrated as a mom, she is afflicted. Hagar received affliction from Abram and Sarai. Affliction. Verse six says that Sarai dealt harshly with her servant Hagar. Dude, there's a lot wrapped up in that one phrase, dealt harshly with Hagar. And finally, Hagar has enough. And she has to, she feels like she has to run away from it all. Then she goes out and hides in the wilderness, man. The wilderness. And we're not talking about populated cities here. We're talking about the wilderness, all right? And where I live, in my neighborhood, there's like this old abandoned golf course and it's become a wilderness. And I get on the next door app and people are like, don't go walking through there. There's javelina and snakes and there's scary homeless people. You know what I mean? That's the wilderness in Oso Creek. I don't know. <laughs> but this is, I mean, it's, it's bad, bad. It's a desert wilderness. I'm sure there's been many a mom or grandma here who's been to the point where you simply have had enough and you just want to run away and hide. Right, ladies? Men, you too, right? Oh, yeah. Kind of reminds me of a, this. There's an old soap commercial on TV way before we had streaming, kids, all right? Um, this commercial from a company called Calgon. It was Calgon soap. You can still buy that today, I guess, but there was this lady who was on the screen. She was so stressed, all right? And, and she would say, she's like, oh, the traffic. And then a picture of traffic would be here. And then she goes, my boss. And a picture of this old grumpy man pointing his finger. And then she goes, my child. And then there's this kid in the high chair screaming. And then she goes, the dog. I don't know what the dog had to do with it. And it showed a puppy just sitting there nice, but she was so stressed, okay? And then she goes, that does it. I can't take anymore. She goes, Calgon, take me away. And then the dream sequence happens and she's like in this bubble bath of Calgon, right? You know, and, and the guy says, lose your care in the luxury of a Calgon bath, you know, and it shows her stress-free, right? That would be nice, right? Wouldn't that be nice? But sadly, there was no Calgon soap in Hagar's struggle, all right? It, it may make you smell good, but the stress will still remain as soon as you get out of that bathtub, all right? And so that's where Hagar is in the desert and wilderness, and then she's confronted by an angel. In verse 11, this angel describes that she's in a period of affliction. And we start to get a, a better sense now of what was really going on inside of Hagar. So in verse 6, the, 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 the writer Genesis says that she was dealt harshly, and now here with this angel, it says she's in a period of affliction. Genesis was written in the Hebrew language and, and these two Hebrew words are basically talking about the same type of thing, all right? Dealt harshly is the, the Hebrew word hana and in verse 11 with affliction, it's, it's the, the noun tense oni. So the one was a verb, dealt harshly. Now the angel saying you're in affliction, that's oni. And it's the noun and they're both describing what Hagar was going through emotionally and mentally. And she was being mistreated like she had never been mistreated before in her life. If you don't think being a, a servant slave with no options, no choice, you're just property, if that wasn't bad enough, now mistreatment and affliction is being hammered on top of her. When you do a study on this word affliction in Hebrew, it speaks of being hurt and ravished and weakened and troubled and Describes discomfort and depression and oppression. And all that's summed up in affliction. So, so affliction is, it's an internal trouble. Internally, inside. Internal trouble, internal oppression, internal. And that's all emotionally and mentally all on the inside. You can see this kind of emotional pain and distress, this inner affliction illustrated in the writing of David in Psalm 69, verse 29. He says, but I am afflicted and I am in pain. Let your salvation, O God, set me on high. Because oftentimes we see in the Bible when someone has this internal inner affliction, it leads to a cry out to God, God, help me. That's what the psalmist David was doing. Can you hear his desperate emotional state? 
As he cries out, I'm afflicted, Lord. I'm in pain on the inside. God, save me. That's where Hagar found herself. Can you see it? Can you sense it? Can you even imagine it? Of course you can. Because we've all been there. Every one of us has been there at some time in our lives. You might be there even right now, something inside of you, there's an infliction of the soul, and you're like, God, save me. And being this is Mother's Day, especially you moms and, and all that means. You might even be camped there in, in your life right now and inside. No one else can see it, but inside you're afflicted and you're like, God, save me. Help me, Lord. So if we look about what being afflicted means in this context, you know, you know first off, we we're talking about Mother's Day and, and, and kids, and please understand, I, and I know you do, kids are great. Kids are a blessing. How many will agree with that? Yes? All right. Look what David writes in Psalm 127.3. He says, Behold, children are a heritage, a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. And I know, I'm a parent myself, but I know sometimes you're like, Gift from the Lord? Whoa. Can I return this gift, God? <laughs> Whoa. You know, I am so blessed to be the father of four girls. And we have one boy, Caleb, who's, who's already waiting in heaven for us. And we can't wait to see Caleb. So I, I am blessed. Kids are great. I know firsthand. But hear me. There is an affliction that takes place as well when children are in the picture. No matter, no matter what, along with the blessing, certain afflictions can come along for the ride. And in light of what I just said, Hagar was afflicted simply because she became a mom. Did you notice that in our text? That's when she started becoming afflicted. I mean, up to this point in her life, things were fine and normal and pretty routine and pretty ordinary, just doing her, her daily routine duties and serving Sarai until quite unexpectedly, bam, she becomes a mom, even if she didn't want to be. And then her becoming a mom brought about some problems that led to the affliction in her life. And I know there's a lot of moms grandmoms here today or you're watching and you feel very, very blessed and, and things might be going good and pretty well for your families right now, you know? But even if that describes you and your situation, I, I know this message will resonate with you because you've been there and some are there right now. I can dare say with a lot of confidence, a lot of moms here today are streaming live. You've faced affliction and it still hurts. And that affliction may be ringing in your soul right now. And, and this applies to dads as well. So dads, hear it with spiritual ears too. Maybe you've had a very hard relationship with a son or daughter. Maybe there's distance now because of the fighting. And it afflicts your soul. Your kids are older and the relationship's not there like it used to or like, and it afflicts your soul because of whatever's happened. Maybe your child's off at college or they've grown up, they've married, and they've moved on. You know, sometimes we're like, man, I can't wait till they just move on. But then we're like, they've moved on. <laughs> right? <laughs> but there's a dull pain in your heart, mom, and you miss them so much. That's an affliction. Perhaps you've got a, a child who's a troubled youth, if I can use that phrase right, or has been one at school with the law, elsewhere. There's been situation after situation, you know, and it just causes you an affliction of the soul. Maybe there's been something like a pre-marriage pregnancy that's caused a lot of stress on you and your family. It's brought an affliction. Maybe your son or your daughter, your grandkids, they're not in church anymore. And it grieves your heart as a parent. And that causes an affliction. Maybe you have a child that requires, I mean, a lot of medical care. And it makes life hard. And, and although you love your child and, and, you're, and you're doing anything and everything for them, and you will. I mean, you'll fly to the moon if need be. But there's a difficulty there. And sometimes it just leads to affliction inside. 
Maybe you've got a child and they've gone down their own path, their own way. Maybe they're living an unbiblical lifestyle. You know it's not going to end well. They've ignored advice from you and others and it causes an affliction, a pain inside of you. Maybe you've lost a child to death and you're still grieving that loss. And there's affliction of the soul. We could continue these types of scenarios, but I think you get the point. And sadly, you don't even have to be a mom this morning to experience what I'm talking about. This could be many many afflictions that it's created just with the associations of being a mom or, 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 or motherhood. Perhaps this is, Mother's Day is a very difficult day for you because maybe you are grieving the loss of your mom. You know, she might have passed away recently or decades ago, but, but every year that loss is still there and you're, you're afflicted because you miss her. Maybe your relationship with your mom wasn't that great. It wasn't a hallmark card kind of childhood with, filled with, you know, you know, selfie moments and taking pictures all the time. That relationship has barely healed, if at all. There's, the, the memories just bring affliction, right? Maybe there was abuse, and it's caused affliction. Maybe you've even longed to have a child to hold on to yourself, but, but for some reason, at this point in time, your womb has been closed, and deep inside that just brings an affliction. These are instances where mom or motherhood are specifically you know, involved, but, but we can all feel this same affliction over our circumstances and situations in life. No matter if you're a man, a husband, a grandfather, a stepdad, maybe you're a student at school, maybe you are single. Doesn't matter. This world that we're walking in and journeying in, it can bring afflictions of the heart, emotional and mental turmoil. Maybe you're a strong believer and you are taking a stand for God, for biblical righteousness and morality. Maybe you're a parent and you're trying to do the right things, raise biblical children and biblical families. But yet, like Hagar, was dealt harshly and kicked to the curb and looked down upon and is afflicted. That's kind of what the world can do to us, can kick us and try to stomp us down and get at us, and it just causes affliction, oppression, depression, being looked down upon. It's a struggle. And a lot of times, gang, here's what we do, even moms, and we do it inside. I say we, I'm not a mom. Please understand that. I didn't mean to personalize that. You, but even dad, we hold on to it, right? And we keep it tucked deep inside like I tucked my shirt this morning into my jeans. And inside, we typically, it, all this makes us just want to run and hide like we see Hagar did in Genesis 16. Her affliction sent her to the desert and the wilderness. And, and if not careful, that's what affliction and oppression does to us when we run and hide. We can begin to uh, live in the spiritual desert and we can live in the spiritual wilderness. Man, you can come to church every single Sunday for 52 Sundays out of the year, but you can still be living in a spiritual desert and a spiritual wilderness hiding because some kind of affliction is in your life. So where's our hope? What do we do? Where do we look? Afflicted moms and grandmoms here this, this morning, where's your hope? Where do you look? Afflicted dads, where's your hope? Where do you look? Anyone going through any type of affliction, where's your hope? Where do you look? We find our answer to where Hagar found her hope and her courage and a promise, praise the Lord. Check this out. She's out in the desert wilderness ran away from the servant life that she's known, ran away from her affliction, but guess what? The affliction didn't leave her, right? Still there. And she's still in this desperate, helpless, oppressive state, and look who saw her. Look who greeted her. Look who found her. Genesis 16, 7. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. Oh, Greg, big deal. I mean, so she saw an angel in the desert. Wow, so what? Dude, wouldn't you like to see an angel in the desert? That'd be cool, man. But listen, this was no mere angel. This was the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord. Sorry, Meg, I know you hate it when I do that, but I just, I love to use the dramatic voice, right? The angel of the Lord. 
What happened here? This was a pre-incarnate visit by Jesus, or what's commonly called a Christophany. Jesus appearing on earth in the Old Testament before he was born in the New Testament. You know what this means? Hagar saw Jesus Christ face to face. Oh, that's so good. Do you get it? And he knew what she was going through. He didn't, he, he didn't come in and be like, I don't know who you are. What are you doing out here, lady in the wilderness with this baby? You know what I mean? No. He knew what she was facing. He knew her afflictions. He was looking at her, seeing her. He saw her and he offered her help and hope and gave her a promise. This overwhelmed her so much. She got so much from, from this hope and courage and, and knowing that she wasn't in, in, insignificant. She realized that. She found out, she no, I'm not just a prop to be used. She realized she wasn't invisible at all, that God saw her. She was seen. And that satisfied the longing in her heart that she carried around for all this time, this longing to be seen and known. This encounter with Jesus impacted her so much that she actually gave God a name. She gave God one of his compound covenant names, Genesis 16.3. So she called the Lord who spoke to her, the God who sees, for she said in this place, I have actually seen the one who sees me. She gave this angel the Hebrew name El Roy, in Hebrew, which means the God who sees me. Okay, and that's how we know this wasn't just a mere angel. No, no, this was Jesus Christ himself. And this gave her the courage to go back to Abram and Sarai and submit to them. And she probably told them of the experience Hey, out there, I met El Roy the God who sees me. So listen this morning. Take heart if you're experiencing affliction. As a mom, as a human, take heart if you feel invisible, unnoticed, insignificant. Take heart because Jesus Christ is our hope He's who we look to because he sees us. And Jesus knows affliction firsthand. It's personal to him. All you gotta do is read Isaiah chapter 53 that talks about how he was rejected. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with the deepest grief. That humanity turned our backs on him the other way. He was despised. He was pierced. He was crushed. He was beaten, he was whipped, he was oppressed and treated harshly. Jesus knows affliction firsthand. And we can take heart in Christ this morning because he knows you and me and he sees you and me. He alone satisfies that longing in us that's to be seen, to be noticed. He sees you and me, even our secret world, even the world we try to hide from others that's, that, that's filled with pain and affliction. I can't go to my husband and talk to him about this. I can't go to my wife and talk to her about it. I don't have anybody to talk to about. He knows. He sees you. And that's comforting. It's comforting to know that El Roy, the God who sees, is the God who sees us. He's not just silently waiting around, you know, no. He's a, an active part of our lives. He wants to be a participant, not an observer. He personally wants to get involved with you and me. At the dinner table, on the drive, while we're in our rooms, on vacation, doesn't matter. He wants to be personally involved in our lives because he is personally and intimately involved if we let him. Psalm 139, verses one through three, the psalmist says, oh Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You see me. El Roy, there it is again in Hebrew. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. He sees you. Let the Holy Spirit really plant that in your heart this morning if you're here or watching online. 
And we may ask, why do we long for a God who sees us? What difference does it make to us and for us? Going back to my illustration with our kids, it makes all the difference in the world when a mom or dad or a grandmother or a grandfather sees them, notices them, affirms them. It makes all the difference in the world when we realize God sees us. And here's why. Just a few quick points. Uh, Stefan, if you want to come on up and, and, and get some atmosphere going, that'd be great. You know? <laughs> to be seen is to be, is, is to be significant. And this should be all that matters to you and me. As believers, followers of Christ, this is where we should get our self-esteem. This is where we should get our self-worth from. Knowing that God, God himself, sees you and knows you. Psalm 139, verses 16 and 18 says, the psalmist says, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. We sing about that. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, God, are you still here? It's a new morning. God, are you still here? Are you with me? When I wake up, you are still with me. Praise God for that. That is significance, gang. Sometimes I fear that, that we, you know, especially when we start going through affliction, we feel invisible, we feel insignificant, that we fail to realize the value and the worth that we have in Christ. I got a beautiful 50 buck, $50 bill right here. How many of you would like it? Raise your hand. <laughs> Only five of you? Man. Oh, there, that's Jessica, yeah. All right, what, what if I did this for the $50 bill? How, how many still want it? Yeah. What if I put it in my back pocket, you know? Okay, put it in my mouth. I'm not gonna do that, no. How many still want it? What if I took this, crushed it, stomped on it a few times, kicked it like that? Don't everybody run up here. Hold on. It's just 50 bucks. How many would still want it? If I came to you and said, hey, you want this $50 bill? I, there's nobody would say, no, man. It's wrinkled and crushed. And Reminds me of when me and Megan were servers. You could take a $10 bill or a $5 bill when you're giving people change back when we used to use cash. You could crumple it up. I guarantee you, every, you'd get that bill back every time because no one wants a crumpled bill. But anyway, that's true. That's my ADHD kicking in. I'm sorry, guys. That's just, go back to my illustration. I guarantee if I went to you, you'd say, I'll, I'll take that. Why? Because of the value. Because of the worth. It's still $50. And it would have value to you. Man, listen to me. Especially moms that are sitting here today. I know. Life can be tough. And women are complex, emotional people. God created you that way. It's beautiful. Guys are like, oh, you know. But women, there's, there's depths. And women hold things. And, and sometimes I know that like, especially with women, and again, men here with spiritual ears because it can apply to you too. But life can be like this 50. It can crush us. It can roll us. Like we've been through the washing machine a few times. We're in the spin cycle of life. Sometimes life can stomp and stop. Or the circumstances, the situations, things with your children, things in life, job, finances, physical, your relationships, your marriage, parental, doesn't matter. Life can stomp and stuff like that. And we can suddenly feel like I'm of no value. I'm of no worth. I'm invisible. No one sees me. No one notices me. My husband doesn't value me. My kids don't value me. Listen, you still have value and worth in Christ. No matter what life does to you or through you or on you or in you or whatever, Christ sees the value in you and that will never, ever change. And he loves you. And you are significant in Jesus. Students that are here this morning, high school, middle, college, listen, don't try to get your self-worth and your significance through culture and TikTok and Instagram and selfies in the world. 
find your worth and your value in Jesus Christ. You are loved, you are seen, you are known, and you have value, praise the Lord. Man, that's such a good truth. Number two, to, to be seen is to be safe. And I'm, I'm really quick wrapping up. Jeremiah 24, 6, the prophet is recording what God says. My eyes will watch over them for their good, will care for them. I'll bring them back to this land. I'll build them up, not tear them down. I will plant them and not uproot them. God's speaking about the Israelites who have been carried off into captivity, but, and, but he proclaims the same thing over us today. My eyes will watch over them for their good. I'm gonna care for them. Remember two weeks ago I said, when you expect good to come out of everything, God is good. And don't children feel safe when mom and dad is watching them? Yes, they do. Because it shows they're close and they're near and they are there present, ready to help, save, and deliver. And the God who sees us is the same way. He's here, he's near, he's ready to help, save, and deliver. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 29, what's the price of two sparrows? One copper coin, this is this, that's very cheap in the New Testament context, but not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your heavenly father knowing it. That's what Jessica's painting over there in reference to Matthew 10, 29 and sparrows. Notice Jesus didn't never, he didn't say a sparrow never falls, right? No, no, no. <laughs> it does fall. Jesus acknowledges that, but it does say that the father sees the sparrow and knows the sparrow even when it falls and he's there to help. There's safety in being seen. Two more, to be seen is to be known. To be seen is to be known. Your joys, your needs, your situation, desires, wants, weaknesses, strengths, fears, anxieties, stresses, he sees them. He knows them. The entire chapter of Psalm 139 speaks of this, the entire chapter. But here's the closing verse of that chapter, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart and know my anxious thoughts. He does. The last one, it's so good. To be seen is to be loved. Isn't that why we do that to our kids' parents over and over and over again? I saw you. Okay, I'm getting a little bored here. <laughs> I know. Okay, all right. Here's the merry-go-round again. Okay, no, no. No one ever takes that. No, we're like, every time. Oh. <laughs> You know you've done that as a parent, <laughs> right? Hey, Dad, watch me jump off the side of the pool. Oh, cool. Hey, Dad, watch me jump off the side of the pool. Awesome. Hey, Dad, jump off. We love our kids, and we will watch them over. We love our grandkids. We'll watch them over and over. That's God. That's God. And we say, Lord, do you see me? He's like, I see you. You know what I'm going through? I know. And I'm right here to help you. To love you. His watch isn't a casual glance or a casual stare. It's a love. It's a watch of love that brings his favor. And he saw us in our most desperate state spiritually and loved us enough to send his son to die for us. That's not love. I don't know what it is. Romans 5 eight. but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. 1 John 3, 1, see how very much our father loves us for he calls us his kids. And he says, I see you. It's not in the Greek New Testament, but that's you know, implied. And that's what we are. He is Elroy, the God who sees you. The God who sees you. We're going to take communion in just a moment. But I want to pray for all the moms, grandmoms, and stepmoms if we can. If you're a mom or a stepmom this morning or a grandmom, or would you mind just coming up forward and standing, just like we did with Father's Day last year. Can you mind just coming and standing right up here together with me in the front? If you don't feel comfortable doing that, you, can stay, you don't have to. 
But if you feel comfortable, you know, I did this with the guys last year. I want to do that this year with, for the moms, stepmoms. Now, ladies, if you went to the women's retreat, I heard you had a great time of prayer on Saturday night. Remember, and you may say, well, I don't have children. Hey, if you're a spiritual mom, you better be up here. Honestly, a mentor, a teacher, somebody that's over kids. You're a nurse and you see kids. And all these apply. Now, what I want you ladies to do is, guys, if you're back there, I want you, when we pray, I want you to reach your hand forward and pray with me. Ladies, if you would just maybe lay a hand on somebody's shoulder next to you. And as we pray, you pray for the person next to you. You may not even know their name. It doesn't matter. Pray God's blessing on them. Because none of us know exactly where each of us are emotionally and spiritually and in life. But God sees you. God knows. He knows. If you're watching, he knows. Men, he knows. Let's pray. God, I pray a blessing right now. I feel your presence so strongly, Lord. Do a great work in these lives. Lord, we are creatures of habit, and so many times when we are afflicted by so many things, we, we suppress it, we try to hide it, we, we, we want to run away, and, and, and that can affect us so much spiritually. We can let the afflictions that happen in this fallen world, in broken relationships, afflict us emotionally and mentally, and so much so with, with, with these women. Let them know right now they see you, or you see them. Let them know right now, Lord, that you know, even if they've told not a soul, you know, you see them. Jesus, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them and anyone that's watching at some point like you do with Hagar and they're so overwhelmed with the thought that she exclaimed, you are the God who's, you are El Roy. Let them know you are the one who really truly sees me. And so I pray for blessing and comfort and strength and provision. I pray for emotional healing. I pray for relationships to be restored. I pray for a great work in every heart and every life. Let them leave this place. And if they're watching, let them leave. right now, let them feel your comfort and your peace and your love. Let them know they're significant, they're safe, they're known, and they're loved. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. We're going to take just a few minutes more and close this day with communion. I know it's 1030, but if you're going to serve communion, if you'd come, I know like JC and Reyes, Megan, we're going to serve on this side. And if you'll come get your elements and just return the seat, we'll read the scripture and, and uh, we'll take communion together. But come and take communion this morning. Come and receive your elements, if you will. Yeah. For what Jesus did for you. Jesus sacrificed for you. Jesus sacrificed for you. What Jesus did for you. Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> Just break it in half. It's what Christ has done for us. It's what Christ has done for us, brother. It's what Jesus has done.